the Sports Crib Podcast, episode 346. How can venture capital develop the sports and health tech industry? Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in this particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in working with elite athletes, venture capital, and health, sports, and technology. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is CC Bellis. CC is a former professional tennis player and the manager partner of Carton Capital, where she specialises in investment opportunities to shape the future of sports and health to enhance our well-being. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have CC as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, CC will share her sports career journey and explain to you how venture capital can develop the sports and health technology industry. Have a listen and enjoy. Cece, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh my gosh, yeah. Thanks for having me. First of all, my sports career journey started very young. I played a million sports uh, when I was little. I think I played um, soccer, I did tennis, gymnastics, swimming, like you name it, I played it. And as I got older, um, I just really liked tennis. And that was something that I, I really wanted to focus on. So, um, you know, played a little bit more competitively as I, you know, came up in, in juniors and um, as kind of an early teen and then was really focused on it kind of by by late teens and, and ended up turning pro at that point. Okay, let's just go back or at the beginning. Like, can you actually remember the moment when you went right, tennis is the sport? And the reason I share this is I feel like it's always a topic that's important when I'm so glad you explore different sports, but then there's a period if you really want to take it seriously to your best potential. Can you remember that age when you went right, no, tennis is the number one sport, not soccer, not other sports. Can you remember that moment? Yeah, I so it was really down to tennis and soccer by the time I was like 11 years old. Um, and by 11, 12, I was really uh, kind of in the position where I, I wanted to choose between one or the other. And I just really enjoyed the individual aspect of tennis. So ended up uh, around that age, uh, choosing to focus on tennis solely. Okay, I, I'm intrigued now with the soccer side because whenever I think of soccer, for some reason I think of Rafa Nadal have <laughs> his roots into soccer. And I'm just curious, how did soccer as a sport help you as a tennis player? Yeah, I mean, from an early age, it just taught incredible kind of footwork. And um, even though, you know, you're playing with your feet, I think it teaches a lot of hand-eye coordination as well. And just coordination in general, like athletic coordination. Um, so I think with movement and and that aspect, it was, you know, vital to have at the beginning of my, um, you know, kind of early tennis career, I guess. And just with the tennis side, I'm just curious, because as I said to you before we went on air, tennis and sport, I started very early on. I actually started in Mallorca on clay courts accidentally I borrowed a tennis racket and hit against a wall and it was the coach's wall and anyway I got on the court and I loved it since then you said like tennis sport that independence Mike could you dig deep on that side because I have to say I've had many debates 
even with golf is that I still think tennis is one of the only sports where really you're on your own. And let me dig deep on this. Golfers have a caddy. Um, if you think of boxers, despite it's a bit brutal in those three minutes, but they still have moments where they're with their coaches. But tennis, you're on your own, you, you know. So I'm just curious, a couple of points. Number one, the independent side, how much did that motivate you? But on the other side of that on your own factor as well, I'm just curious. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, in matches, you're all by yourself out there, but in training, you know, you do have a team and you have your team kind of on the sidelines when you're in competition, but you're the one making all the decisions on the court when you're in matches. And I think, like you said, it's very different from other sports, no matter if they're individual sports or not, there's some sort of kind of support around there. But um, yeah, for tennis, I think it, it shows, you know, um, if you work hard in practice and you kind of focus on things that you think will help you in, in competitive, um, you know, times like tournaments, then you're going to be able to make those right decisions by yourself and kind of on your own. And I think that's something that I tried to focus on a lot, you know, just putting myself under pressure in practice and being able to, you know, feel almost comfortable in those pressure situations and matches. Um, that's, that's really what kind of, I based my career on. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's awesome that it's an individual sport. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. You know, you could be playing a player who maybe plays incredible in practice when they have their coach kind of telling them, you know, what to do, um, all the time. And then in a tournament, they could be maybe not as good because they have to make their own decisions. So tennis is really all about kind of how you play as an individual and like how your mind works in the decisions that you make. Um, and yeah, you know, you travel around the world, uh, pretty much on your own, you do have a team, but, um, there are times that, you know, it's, it's really, uh, you're by yourself. So you have to, um, kind of focus on the things that, you know, um, make you really happy when you, when you are traveling, even though it's sometimes it can get, you know, pretty long and, uh, the season's really long in general. Um, but I think those moments that, you know, um, bring you so much happiness, you know, on court, whether it's practice, whether it's, you know, winning matches, um, make it all worth it. I'm going to put you on the spot now. How did you manage the mindset side? Like you said, with you could, I was one of them, by the way, everybody. I could do brilliant training sessions, but then when it came to where it mattered, big points, and like you say, during a tournament environment, how do you keep that composure from a mindset standpoint? It's tough. You know, I, I, like I said, it's very tough. Um, you know, I, I really tried to put myself in, in similar situations in practice, whether it was in practice matches or just like, drilling situations. Um, and, you know, working with mental coaches has helped a ton, but, you know, I felt like it, it came to me uh, pretty easily from a young age. I was lucky in that sense that, um, you know, I always kind of thrived in a competitive, um, uh, environment that was, you know, had pressure aspects to it. So I think, you know, there are ways to train for it, um, you know, in practice and, you know, with, uh, in, uh, kind of like mental training mode as well. But, um, yeah, a lot of it is, is kind of the individual and how they react, um, just as, as their baseline as well. Okay, I have to keep on this angle because I think this could be super helpful and I can connect with it. From the pressure standpoint, how would you define pressure? Because let me break it up. Let's say it's 40 all big game, seventh game. I always say when I was playing, you've got to win the seventh game. So either four, three up or four, three down, as an example. How do you define pressure yourself in those moments? Do you look at it? Okay, it's just one game. I can win two back to back if I break their serve. Or did you have a way to process it? I didn't when I started because I used to beat myself up in from a mindset standpoint but now if I was a younger tennis player I'd have a totally different approach but then there's a thing called maturity so I hope you don't mind me going deep on this but I just think the psychology or the mindset is vital and to, as you say I'm so glad he had that support I didn't when I was playing but looking back how did you 
like look at that as a process standpoint in the moment? I know it's a big question, but hopefully there's a bit of reflection you can relate to experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different forms of pressure. I think, you know, there's, there's pressure that, you know, you put on yourself, which I feel like I, I put so much pressure on myself as an athlete because I felt that, you know, I put so much time into the training process that I wanted all of it to come out as much as possible in competitive uh, tournaments. And so there's that type of pressure. There's like scoreboard pressure, like you mentioned, you know, tight moments of the match. Um, There's, you know, outside pressure of, oh, maybe I should win this match. You know, people think I should win this match, you know, that type of thing. Expectations. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's, there's so many different types of pressure and each of them need to be handled differently. Um, pressure on yourself, you know, I think that's, that can also be a good thing sometimes. And I think that helped me a lot. You know, I think it brought the best out of me sometimes. Um, and that really shows, you know, you care about the sport, you care about what you're doing and, and, you know, it's, it's a a big part of your life. And then, you know, scoreboard pressure, there's, um, other ways to handle that. I think, you know, keeping your composure as much as you can, you know, deep breathing, there's a lot of techniques you can do. Um, and, you know, really, uh, focusing, especially in tennis, uh, from a tennis aspect, you know, on, on big targets when you're in kind of pressured situations, not going for too close to the line. I think that was something that I tried to focus on, uh, when it was a big point, but, you know, trying to really trust yourself when you do have that shot that you want to go for. Um, and I feel like I, I did that uh, pretty well when I was playing as well. I tried to trust myself as much as possible because of that training that I put in. I knew that I could, you know, make that, um, back into the line in a pressure situation, you know, whatever the shot may be. Um, and then kind of external like expectations. That's, that's probably the toughest one to deal with, I would say, cause it's not really in your control at all. Um, and, you know, I think just trying to block it out as much as possible and just focus on yourself is, is the best way to handle that. Okay. Last point. Cause I wanted to t- like really dig deep on this. Cause I'm curious where, where my coach said, hey, just, it's the next point. It's so cliche in this sport. Like managers in other sports, go, it's the next game. They're not focusing. Well, they you always focus ahead. I, I did a little bit during some sets to, from a momentum standpoint. But did you actually apply that philosophy of like next point when the chips were down? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's like the beauty of tennis, right? There's always going to be a point after one that you maybe didn't um, perform as well as you wanted to, unless of course it was match point. Um, but most of the time there's always a, an extra point. And, and I think that's one of the great things about tennis is there's no clock. You know, you can come back at any time during a match, no matter, no matter what time it is or how long you've been out there, which is different than a lot of other sports as well. So yeah, always, you know, trying to have a, a short um, memory <laughs> in, in tennis is really important. So just on that point, there's one thing I want to, I like to share techniques and methods and it does relate to business. We will get to what you're currently doing, but from a player standpoint, when I started to review my matches, good and bad, for me, that changed everything. Like I've got a journal here. I journal so much. And when I was playing tennis, I used to like document my games. And at the beginning, it was hard from a habit because you're not really taught this. But when somebody suggested it, oh, my goodness, I looked at different components of my game, mindset, technique, how I deal with pressure. Did you have a review system of after? I see you nodding your head. So there's a little hint, everybody. But I'm just curious because these are the little things I don't think could be implemented more from a training standpoint. So I'm just curious of how you implemented this side of things of like documenting your matches yeah absolutely you know um most of my matches uh were filmed uh which is really nice whether it was you know on um big courts most of them had uh, a camera or or something so uh, i had access to all those tapes which was really great and so i did 
um, watch a lot of tape back, uh, post matches, or, you know, even in training, looking at matches that, you know, um, on one hand, maybe I did something really well. And then in other areas, you know, I could have done better. And that was something that I, I really took seriously is, is, um, kind of like the video aspect of it. And, and I had a great team at the USTA that tagged all my matches, you know, uh, being able to, to really, uh, get into the nitty gritty of the data. So that was a huge part of my training and, and I loved it. And I think it helped so much. Okay, last point on this is fascinating. From like a, a video analysis standpoint, did you find ways to get self-acceptance that you may have lost but had a fantastic performance? Or you had a great performance, but actually, you know, sorry, you had a great result, but the performance was not up to the standard. Do you did you have moments like that of how you reviewed it? Uh, I, I, yeah, carry on. I just want to, I think this is really important. You know, for, for every athlete, right? There's going to be um, days where you uh, kind of have to, to win at, you know, maybe not your best. Um, and I think those are some of the biggest, um, you know, possible learning opportunities, uh, when you, when you are playing, when you're not playing your best and you're able to, you're able to find a way to win. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, playing really well and, and losing, I don't think there's anything to be, you know, upset about, uh, with that. There's always, uh, going to be most of the time, there's going to be someone that, you know, could have a better day than you. And, and, you know, you still play well and it's just maybe not your day, but a lot of positives to take away from that as well. Awesome. I'm going to touch on another subject. Cause I, I said to you before, I've done my research and there's one thing that I admire about your career is how you sort of, you know, you, sorry, how you looked at injuries and how to come back and, the one thing I saw in one of your interviews, you said the key to being a professional tennis player is patience. Would you mind digging deeper what you meant? Like, I think we all know what the word patience mean, but from an injury standpoint, you know, they always say that's probably the hardest component an athlete sort of has to like, should we say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Has to accept when it happens, but then they have to find a new mindset of how to get back recovering and then hopefully be the better tennis player you know, to get back to full recovery. So I'm just curious of what you mean patience and from any athlete listening and how this is an important component to in a career in sport, not just tennis as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, what I meant there is, you know, I went through so many different um, kind of injuries and, and, you know, the rehab process so many times. And, you know, I got to the point where a couple of times, maybe I rushed back a little bit too soon. Um, you know, I could have done a few things that, um, like waited a little bit longer on the rehab side of things, even though I was so eager to kind of get back out on court. And I think that's really what I meant um, in regards to to that interview that you mentioned, kind of being patient enough to to wait to make sure it's the right time to to get back out there. And also I've had other athletes on my show with injuries. One that always sticks to me was a good friend, Julia Simich, who did her ACL and she was out for like nine months. And she said, Ed, I've never been so lonely. May I ask, did you have any aspects of, when I say loneliness, like you're training on your own, you're not part of the team thinking about winning or competitions. You're literally focusing on like the next day to have that 1% better for her point of view is getting the ACL back up and running. So I was just curious of that loneliness. And the reason I share this is like, I want athletes to know that you're not alone, even in the moment you probably are, but there's always a support system. Would you mind just talking on this topic? Um, I'll be really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so I was really lucky, you know, I had such a great team around me and the USTA training center that, that I was at, you know, 
there was so much support from every angle. There was always players in town, whether they were injured or just coming, you know, back from a tournament, that type of thing. So I never really felt alone in that aspect. I always felt like I had support around me, but I can totally understand, you know, especially in like a team environment, if you're the one that's out on the sidelines and, you know, all your teammates are out practicing, I feel like that could be, you know, really tough, but, you know, I think, especially from a team environment and, you know, obviously speaking from an individual sport, so I don't know much about, you know, a professional team environment, but, um, I would assume, you know, your team members are supporting you. They want you to get better. They want you to, you know, be back out there as, as quick as possible. So, um, yeah, I don't think, you know, any, anyone that's injured should feel too lonely, even, even though you, you know, might be with just, you know, one physio or, or, you know, be training on your own, like that type of thing. But I think, you know, there's always support coming from different areas. Okay, final one relating to your like tennis career. When was the moment when, you know, it was about the team? Like you've mentioned teamed a lot in this conversation. I think it's a really important point because when I started, everything was like, well, literally myself, and my coach. And but now in tennis, like a good example, everybody is when you listen to any, you know, speeches from any of the tennis players, they always thank the team. It's not they've won it, it's a whole team effort. There's a strategy behind now with tournaments and how to approach different services and training. So when was the moment when you were a player when it sort of clicked like, no, we are a team now. It's not just me and literally my tennis coach. Can you remember that moment? Yeah. You know, I, I really think it was um, when I started training um, at the facility at the USTA, uh, because at that point, you know, it wasn't just me and my coach, which it was beforehand. It was myself, my coach. I had a fitness trainer, I had physios, I had mental coaches, you know, it was a full team of people that were supporting me. And it was like, from an organizational standpoint, a full organization was backing me. And that's when I felt like I I was really, you know, coming from that, that, uh, like team mindset. How did you approach that? Meaning, did you look at it go great? I want to say delegate, you can go like, I can folk, like, how did you like process it in like, individual, you can get the best out of this team? Sorry, I think this is fascinating because it's never talked about like that. But how did you look at it now? Go, no, I've got my mindset coach. Boom, this session, I want to focus on this part of my game. I'll give an example how I cope with a big point on my second serve, as an example. Can you remember, did you factor all this in? I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I really felt like uh, then, you know, each each uh, person that I worked with worked together as well. So if I was working on, like you said, like maybe my second serve with my mental coach, you know, that's something that I would work on with my fitness coach, with my physios, with obviously my coach on court as well. Um, so it's something that it was, was very holistic. And I felt like it was um, anything that I wanted to work on. I was able to work on it in like every aspect of the game, if that makes sense. 100%. Look, I hope everybody's enjoyed this conversation. Final thing, and I mean final thing now, Reflecting now from your tennis career, how has it supported you? What sort of skill sets from tennis have supported you off the court? I mean, countless, honestly. Uh, You know, firstly, I think growing up in a competitive sport, there's um, so many you know, great learning opportunities for young athletes being in, in competitive sports, obviously, you know, discipline, you know, the hardworking aspect that all transfers over to, to kind of what I'm doing now. And, um, you know, I think the mindset of, of, uh, you know, being competitive also really helps. So I think there's so many different aspects, really mainly on the side of, of, you know, working, putting time in, um, being competitive, you know, really making sure no stone is left unturned. Uh, and I think, you know, um, like we mentioned, those pressure situations that transfers to kind of every career, I feel like, and being able to handle them very well in a competitive sport environment uh, transfers incredibly well to a business environment. 
We're going to talk about the business side now. Just for athletes, this is a passion dear to my heart because I've interviewed many athletes and I always bring up because I don't think it's there with the solution. But from a career transition, did you have a game plan in place? Did you speak to people beforehand before you made big decisions? Um, for me, every athlete's slightly different. I have to be honest. CC, a lot of them said, no, I had no plan and they retired and figured it out along the way. But with your career transition, did you have a potential plan in place or a process to literally do that shift that you're currently doing now? Yeah. So when I was playing on tour, I was completing my undergrad degree online. Um, so I always had um, education as as a really big part of my life. Even, you know, growing up, I, I committed to play tennis at Stanford before I turned pro. And the year I turned pro, the WTA partnered with Indiana University. So that's where I was completing my degree online. So education was a, a huge part of my life, you know, uh, through my professional tennis career. And I always wanted to make sure I had that as a backup, as kind of a safety net in case anything happened. Because I know, you know, at, in professional sports, it's so tough on the body. You never know when, you know, you could get hurt and um, something could happen. So I, I always wanted to have a, a backup plan. And what I studied in, in school was business and finance. And growing up in, in the Bay Area in Northern California, I was immersed in Silicon Valley and venture capital and had an interest in it from a really young age. So, you know, that was the goal when I was uh, planning on going to Stanford is getting into venture capital post-college. But, um, you know, even when I decided to turn pro, that was kind of the long-term goal post-career. And my career just ended a little bit early and, and kind of around the same time that I was graduating from my undergrad. So, um, you know, having that kind of ability and, and that safety net with with my undergrad degree really positioned me well to to be able to go into venture capital and and kind of transfer um, in a much more seamless way. Just on that point of doing education, the one thing I've learned when I speak to coaches is they tell their athletes to just have other interests whilst playing the sport. Like one said to me, he worked with one athlete who's so focused on his goal swing. He said, look, what other interests have you got? And it, it was actually a musical instrument, it's the flute. And he didn't have to be the professional as a flute, like being a golfer, but he, he said the skills you get, he, he was better at flute when he was playing golf and he was a better golfer when he was doing the flute. So I'm just curious with, you know, you being an education bar, I can tell it's a passion. I could hear it in your tone that, you know, you doing like business and finance was another, like you said, a plan, another safety net. But for me, I'm just curious of how other skills were developed whilst playing tennis not being physical skills, but skills that like problem solving as an example. I'm just curious of the benefits of having other interests, but it doesn't have to be purely education. It could be other interests in general. Yeah. You know, I think in general, it's not smart to have all your eggs in one basket. I think it's really smart to like diversify your interests. Um, no matter if your career is in a sport, you know, it's very healthy to have interests and like good, you know, uh, a good support system and a good, you know, family environment outside of that. Um, and being able to to have other interests, I think, like you said, really does benefit, you know, kind of what your main focus is and just being able to take your mind off of that main focus every once in a while and, you know, um, put that kind of same, you know, passion and work ethic into something else is is super healthy. So Susie, I'm going to put you really on the spot now. VCs, when did you get interest in VCs? We'll touch on your VC, you know, fund and the project, Garden Capital. But from an interest standpoint, when did this get this little seed, get in your head about VCs and you getting involved in this sphere in business? Yeah, uh, you know, so growing up in Northern California, um, in the Silicon Valley, you know, I was so 
uh, around and kind of immersed in VC from a really young age. And so it, it's really something that I heard about so often. I would, you know, see it firsthand all the time. And it was something that I was interested in from, you know, early, early teens, um, I would say, you know, even before I was uh, thinking about college. So it's been quite a while. Yeah. Really? Okay. Sorry. I'm going to dig deep. You're going to love me, the listeners. You said from an early age in an environment. Could you just paint the picture of what, what you mean, if that's possible? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, in that area of the of California, it's, um, you know, really kind of the hub of venture capital, really of the world. Um, and so when you, you know, just even uh, walking around the Stanford campus, there's um, startups formed uh, from the students all the time, faculty members, and not not obviously just Stanford uh, students or alum, there's, um, you know, founders from from all around that that come to the Bay Area for, uh, you know, to be in that VC environment in the Silicon Valley. So, um, you know, being being around that area for so much time uh as as you know a kid and and kind of into my early teens it was pretty much inevitable that I was going to be uh you know involved not involved but you know kind of adjacent to it I guess for for some periods and you know like you said from from an early age it was an interest and you know just being kind of around that startup culture since I was little um and just you know walking down the street and and you know hearing conversations and and you know uh seeing you know startup uh signs pitches things like that like that always interested me being a tennis player how has it helped you be a ceo founder in a startup environment like what things like the thing i've learned is being really adaptable but also having a plan at the same time so i'm just curious of what skills you've learned with your own startup yeah so um kind of going back to that team environment you know i was uh kind of like the ceo of my team uh when i was playing tennis full time and you know i made a lot of the decisions with team members but i was you know obviously the final decision maker um in a lot of situations so i think that transferred over really well and um kind of the individual aspect uh as well kind of in those pressure situations transferred really well and i think you know being able to build something on your own um you know i'm i'm able to take so many things from my my tennis career to to kind of um, relate to that. How about your leadership qualities as well? How did they develop like the way you lead? You've just given me another snippet of you, the CEO making the decisions, but reflecting what leadership traits have supported you right now? It's a great question. And, you know, I'm obviously very kind of early on into my, my leadership days, but I think creating a really supportive work environment is really important. And, you know, from my tennis days, um, we had such great camaraderie as a team. And I think that's so important in any team environment, whether it's sports, business, you know, being able to to trust each other fully and support each other no matter what. I think that's really important. Okay. And that sounds an obvious question, but how did you build that real tightness of trust did, with you? I'm talking tennis team first, and then we'll talk about your, your VC, but was it having those fun moments off the court just to build that cohesion, then always the stuff on the court? Totally. I think the off court stuff uh, helped a lot and, and, you know, even supported the kind of camaraderie on the court. But I think, you know, you are able to really uh, see if you're going to be able to work with someone well, kind of from an early stage of a relationship, a working relationship. So um, yeah, you know, I, I was able to, to work with my team, um, you know, the coach that I uh, had when I ended up stopping playing, I'd had for you know, eight years or something. So it, you know, it was a very long-term kind of team relationship. In addition to my fitness trainer, I'd actually, um, uh, he was, uh, the head fitness trainer is the head fitness trainer at USTA. 
And the first ever USTA camp that I went out to when I was eight years old, he was my trainer at that time. So it was a very long-term team. So we knew each other very well. And I think that helped a lot too. So, okay, this is another cliche, but how important is it? It goes back to that patience point, but for young tennis players to like follow the process, not just having a tennis schedule, but the process of letting relationships grow. So everybody gets the best version of them in their own qualities. I'm just final curiosity for them. I think this is so important if people really listen or modeling success from a team standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, the longer you spend uh, with a team member or with anyone, really, you know, you get to know them better, you get to know their tendencies, you know, kind of their mindset. And I think that um, is only going to benefit, you know, the athlete, the player, you know, in any situation, you know, knowing your team members, knowing kind of what their thoughts are in different situations um, and being able to make either your own decisions supported by what they think, or, you know, there are different iterations of that, but um, yeah, it, it only benefits the athlete. hundred percent. Now let's get to today's podcast topic, which is all about VC funds. But before we talk about carton capital, this is the podcast topic, how can venture capital and innovation develop the sports and health tech industry like paint me the picture and the mic is yours cc oh my gosh uh how can vc shape the sports and health industries so the sports market is very large um but not as large as the health market the sports market is valued at around 650 billion right now the health market is valued around 13 trillion so um, you know, the sports market is really poised to grow in the next 10 years or so. A lot of different factors contributing to that. You know, there's a lot of different um, uh, salute or I guess sites saying that uh, the growth of sports is going to, you know, double, triple within the next, you know, 10, 20 years with um, sports just becoming more popular globally and fans becoming more engaged. There's newer, you know, better viewing experiences for fans and more eyeballs on sports. So, there's only, you know, areas for growth and room for growth in, in the sports space. And I think, you know, that's on the sports kind of viewership side on the, you know, athlete side of things. There's so much room for growth on the kind of player performance side of things, whether that's in data analytics, sports recovery, um, you know, just, uh, I guess, improving performance in general um, and being able to kind of track your progress. There's so many solutions and so much room for growth in that space as well. And then in kind of sports adjacent health uh, industries, you know, like wellness, there's so many applications in sports for that, um, you know, even mental health. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of applications in fitness and data collection on that side of things as well. So, you know, VC is really kind of seeding those startups that are able to then disrupt those those markets in general and later stage. So, you know, kind of my role, I guess, is really looking for those startups that I feel are going to change and, and disrupt the sports and health industries. And at an early stage, I'm giving them funding and support to be able to then grow and be able to disrupt those industries later on. So just for those listeners listening, may I ask which segments you're currently interested in now? Because as, you, as you, you just paint the picture, you've got the professional side, You've got the data analytics support in the teams and the athletes. Then you've got the health of, I would bracket physical activity, that, as you say, the mental health and also just physical support and how technology can influence that. What segments are you really interested in just to get things going? It's because it's so easy to be so broad. And I'm just curious of which markets or segments you're really interested in right now at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
our, you know, Carton Capital only looks at the sports and health markets. And, you know, underneath those two verticals um, on the sports side, you know, I really like to look at at sports performance. Um, and I think that's, you know, a, a really interesting um, kind of subset of sports, which is kind of on the athlete side. And then there's also fan engagement, which is on kind of the sports um, viewing solutions could also be, you know, sports betting. There's a lot of different, you know, applications on that side. And then on the, the health side of things, there's health and medical, which is like actual medical solutions. Um, we won't go too technical on that side of things, more like on the side of wellness, I would say. And then that kind of fourth bucket that we like to look at is, is wellness and lifestyle. So that's um, really everything from mental health, just general wellness, that's fitness, um, that's longevity, an area that we're really interested in, that's nutrition, and, and kind of what we can look at all of this as is even on the health side of things, it's like sports adjacent health industry. So these are still helping the sports market in a way and could be helping athletes or, or fans as well. So now just paint the picture, like the vision behind Carton Capital, like tell you what, like explain to the listeners of like, you've just, we've hinted it a few times, but what you specialize in, which you shared the four segments, but from a vision standpoint, I'd love you just to share the mission as well behind it as well. Absolutely. You know, with my background um, heavily in sports and then in the last few years, VC, I feel like I have pretty solid expertise on the sports side of things and and even on the um, non-technical health side of things, just with the, the VC firm that I was at prior to starting this. And, you know, my goal is to really create a, a generational um, long lasting firm and, you know, starting with this fund one right now, but later down the line, you know, in a few years, being able to raise consecutive funds and, and keep this growing. And, you know, I tried to build out a, a really solid advisory board that has expertise in a lot of different kind of a broad range of areas to make sure that we have those knowledge gaps really covered by them, whether it's on the sports side, the media side, the health side of things, the business side of things. Um, we're very much covered on that advisory side. So, you know, our goal is really to, to grow these industries. And with our expertise, of course, myself coming from a professional athlete kind of mixed with VC background and my advisors coming from all different backgrounds, we really feel that we're, you know, poised with, with our team to be able to grow these, these companies that we end up investing in and, and, you know, help them um, really kind of disrupt and, and grow the industries that we're interested in and, and really passionate about. And I think that's kind of the, the main goal for us and the main, you know, kind of uh, reason why we're doing this is we're very, very passionate about the sports and the health industries, you know, with our backgrounds, all of us have have some sort of background in sports, whether, you know, my advisors having expertise in different areas, but they're all very much interested in sports as well. So, you know, I think growing that market and growing the health market as well, uh, just from, you know, an interest standpoint there is, is so important to us and a passion for us. And I think, you know, merging work with passion is the best thing that you can do and being able to to work in in, an er in areas that I really am passionate about myself and being able to grow those areas is kind of a dream come true. Just relating to your passion and this is for the startups listening in I think this is really important I hope you don't mind answering this question but what are you looking for from a startup and what I mean is I don't mean the technicality of the application I'm talking the type of startups or people entrepreneurs you would work with the reason I share this is I've done plenty of interviews I think you're like 370 my podcast and I've learned sports industry doesn't matter what seg segment comes down to trust a bit like your team in tennis may I ask what you look for from an individual like from a startup from a trust standpoint they may have the best idea but if there's not that alignment with one simple component of like similar values it may be the best thing as they say in the UK than sliced bread 
but if there's not that alignment there's not going to be the pure potential of passion coming through so hope you don't mind me saying this question it's just i'm big on education and you could share some tips of what you look for from more of a soft skill perspective or, or approach if they do reach out to you the right way Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we're looking at early stage companies. We're looking pre-seed through Series A, really on more of the seed and Series A side of things. And, you know, with looking at at startups um, at that stage, team is such an important aspect and something that, you know, VCs really heavily like weight in their decision making process is the team aspect. And, you know, having founders and leaders of the teams being both dynamic, very knowledgeable of the space and and a good leader is something that, you know, we can't um, overlook if they don't have those qualities. So, you know, a lot of what we're betting on right now, early stage is team and how, you know, founders, if they're co-founders, how they work with each other, how they work with the rest of the members of the team, kind of what the overall like sentiment is of the team is, is so incredibly important. So, you know, looking for founders that are, you know, incredibly knowledgeable in their space, our dynamic founders, do we see them as being future leaders of the space? I think that's kind of the biggest um, aspect that VCs look at. So it's it's a vital component. And I've seen so many incredible startups and incredible ideas, you know, being led by um, maybe not the best founders or founders that, you know, don't really get along with team members and it never works out. And, you know, uh, an idea that maybe isn't as, you um, defensible or incredible in the beginning, but has such an amazing founder. We've seen so many of those ideas work out even better just because of the team aspect. And, you know, that can, that can really carry a company far. Can you just share quickly where people can contact you? We've got a few more questions, but just for people to listen to that, where's the best place to reach out from a website perspective? That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Our website is carton-capital.com. So they can, you know, reach out from a startup perspective, um, send us your deck. If you're in the sports and health space, happy to take a look. Um, we see a lot of decks and, and we look through every single one. So amazing. So we'll get back to our podcast now, but I thought in the moment, it was a good place to ask that. CC, blend back to your career journey now. What have you enjoyed the most looking back right at this moment? Oh my goodness. Ed, that's such a tough question. You know, I think the moment that I've enjoyed the most, you know, of course I had some incredible moments in my tennis career that, um, you know, I think I was concerned coming out of my tennis career. If I was ever going to be able to find something that, um, kind of ignited like that, that feeling that you get when you win a big match or win a big tournament and, you know, being able to find that through venture capital, I think has been the most incredible, um, time in my career and being able to kind of pivot from tennis and, and, you know, take something else up and be, um, you know, on the path to, you know, hopefully becoming a, a figure, a real figure in venture capital one day, you know, that's, that's really the um, best part for me and the goal for me, but the, you know, most rewarding part, I think for sure. Also just being able to um, pivot and, and, you know, hopefully be um, kind of one of those industry leaders one day and, and have that, um, that goal. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to ask this. I know it's going to help people, especially athletes. How did you pivot from a process standpoint? Yeah, you know, uh, mentally, it was it was difficult, but I'd been, you know, kind of in the same injury cycle for a while, and I knew it was time to move on. Um, and, you know, having the ability to to jump on board at a at a VC firm pretty much right away when I stopped helped a lot. And I think, you know, I, I really um, 
you know, uh, give the credit to, you know, my, my hard work as a tennis player, being able to create, you know, somewhat of a name for myself in tennis to be able to immediately get on board at a, at a firm, um, you know, from, from my, my tennis kind of accolades that obviously helped me, me get involved in addition to my schooling background, but, um, you know, having that and, uh, you know, a, a lot of people uh, might say, oh, it's it's such a, you know, tough way to end your career, you know, having an injury. And yes, you know, absolutely it was. But I did not um, kind of lull in that moment. I didn't, you know, just sit around and like think, oh, let me wait till, you know, an opportunity comes, you know, in my lap. You know, I I was very proactive and and ready to kind of move on and get my career going. And so I think, you know, for athletes that are maybe, you know, at the end of their career or, or thinking about, you know, moving on there's no need to, you know, wait, you know, if you want to get into a different industry, you know, do as much, you know, learning research as you can and be very proactive and in, in wanting to get involved in that industry. Amazing. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview, CeCe. Well, always finish with an inspirational question. And the one for you, because I was reflecting throughout this whole conversation and I've learned a lot and I hope the listeners too, but what three tips would you give to the listener right now? So they put into action, like I want them to listen to this and put it into action straight away three tips to be better being proactive to be the best version of themselves what three tips would they be great question um so i think you know for me when i was uh moving on from tennis being proactive meant um you know outwardly putting myself out there to to get into the business world into the vc world and that was um, my version of being proactive and in the way that i kind of moved on i think another way of being proactive is um learning about the new um, area that you want to be involved in and doing your own research, your own learning, not, you know, trying to learn everything on the job. Um, something I did as well. Absolutely. And number three, you know, I think if you bring like the same hard work and, and passion and dedication from, you know, a previous role, whether that's an athlete or, or, you know, whatever industry to a different one, there's going to be so much that, you know, translates over and so many different, um, ways to kind of relate back to the previous role. So you'll feel, comfort in many different areas, whether it's, you know, pressure, you know, hard work, um, you know, uh, different situations. So I think, you know, those three would be my main tips. I love it. The ones I've learned from you is how you come across with your energy. And I can see the energy you as a tennis player as the same energy of approach in your VC fund. And that's something I've just learned from you. So um, I hope the listeners will apply those three tips. But Cece, I know you mentioned the website already, but just for people to connect with you directly online like where are the best places to go yeah so um we have our website that that'll go straight to our company email so we're monitoring that 24 7 we have an instagram um carton underscore underscore capital um follow us on there and then twitter is carton capital um so yeah um, follow us on there reach out um through our email and and we'll get back to you we're excited to to chat and and um yeah just uh, learn more about um the sports and health markets Amazing. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this amazing podcast chat. CC, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Ed. Appreciate it. What a phenomenal podcast chat with CC. And as you can tell during the conversation, I thoroughly enjoyed it, particularly right at the beginning of relating to my experience in tennis, relating to her experience of tennis, and like the mindset of playing that sport, which I hope you can relate to when you perform in any sport, particularly of how you adapt when under pressure. Like I particularly really enjoyed that conversation of the next point. You know, in the business world, it could be the next opportunity, the next deal. 
and learning from either a certain failure, which you turn into a lesson of improvement. That side of the conversation, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed and wish I knew if I was a younger tennis player looking back. But without a doubt, they these lessons of sport are so transferable in other walks in life. But with regards to today's podcast topic, I hope you've got a better understanding how venture capital can influence the development of the health and tech industry. And with regards to Cece's journey, it's so great that she's really, from an athlete standpoint, if you're an athlete listening, sort of the transferable skills from tennis and how she's applied it into an interest in venture capital. Like what Carton Capital is trying to achieve is so fascinating. And it's like for the good of the industry. And for me, this is what it's all about, of creating new opportunities after sport. But with regards to a sports career development standpoint, I really enjoyed her tip with regards to the three tips she said of being proactive. And I'm going to put you on the spot to be proactive now. As always, I want you to take action because at the moment you've got information coming from one year, coming out the other. So really be proactive in how you're going to apply this podcast to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Cece said, being proactive is about putting yourself out there, learning new things in the area you have an interest in with hard work and passion.